extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. No one can ever say they've experienced this, you know, in the way that we're experiencing this right now, all across the board. School leaders, district leaders, parents, students, everyone, right? And so what we have to do is really learn from my experiences. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangie Reed Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. We have talked with many school and district-based educators about how they are operating, but we wanted to dig into one particular issue that has been in the headlines and talked about a lot during the pandemic, and that is the so-called missing kids. I'm putting the words missing kids in quotations because kids and their families know where they are. Schools don't always know where they are because they don't log into remote schooling. And not knowing where their students are poses a real challenge for their schools and districts. We're going to talk with three people who have deep knowledge about the problem, some ideas about solving it, and a track record of success. Roger Shaw is a district administrator for Baltimore City Public Schools. His official title is Instructional Leadership Executive Director for Community Learning Network 11, which is a bit of a mouthful, but he also heads what Baltimore calls its re-engagement center, which has as its purpose finding disengaged students and putting them back on the path to graduation. Taisha Swinton is principal of Digital Harbor High School, which under her leadership improved attendance before the pandemic and has held on to those gains during it, which most principals would agree is a feat worth paying attention to. David Heber is founder of Concentric Educational Solutions, which is a contractor with Baltimore schools and other districts. He and his company works with the schools to re-engage students. David and I were first introduced by his mentor, Freeman Hrabowski III, who was our guest a couple of weeks ago. I have long thought he had important things to say about how schools can better serve students, and when he told me about the work Mr. Shaw and Dr. Swinton have been doing, I realized that they have a lot of expertise to share with the rest of the field, so I'm really happy we could get everyone together to have this conversation. So let me start with you, Mr. Shaw. When Baltimore City Public Schools closed in March, it was reported that 8,000 students were missing. Can you give us an overview of how you thought about that number and what you and the school system did in response? Oh, yes, again, thank you, and, and uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, yes, uh, 8,000 students were, you know, that was an, a, a very huge number, astronomical number, to kind of say we, we are not hearing from these students and they're not logging on. And so what we thought about uh, was what are our structures and systems that we have in place now 
uh, pre, pre-COVID and what do we need to change that we're in this reality now. And so we thought about that. And I must say, before I go on, is that this took the collaboration with the CEO, the, the chief of schools, and partners and principals that kind of put structures and systems in place. And so what I thought about was we have to look at this in phases. We, 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 we have to think about how do we approach this and, and chunk it and break it down into smaller pieces that is not overwhelming for, for the district and for people that will be doing the work on the ground. And so my approach was like a UP, UPS model. How do we get to this front door of these students and families and give them what they need? And so we talked about doing this in phases. So phase one, to, to look at that number and say phase one, let's just go and see what families need. Let's just see if we can just say, are you safe? Are you okay? We're not talking about getting back into school or online at in phase one. We're talking about what is it that you need to, to, to survive in this pandemic? What are some of the basic resources? Is it food? Is it medical supplies? Is your grandmother okay? Uh, uh, are, are your brothers and sisters okay? That was the conversation that we wanted to have in phase one. And so we call that soft contacts. Phase one was soft contacts. And then as we got the data from, from soft contacts, and that's from Dr. Heber uh, uh, and, and Cocentra going out and, and having those conversations. And then what we did was we would debrief about the soft contacts. And then we thought about going into phase two. So, my, so the idea was phase two now is to have the conversation about school the conversation about what's working at school, what's not working, how can we help you, how can we reconnect you? And so we call that hard contacts. So we go from soft contacts to hard contacts. And that's how we started to look at that number and kind of deal with students who were just not logging on and just had separated from the district. And so we would go through that process, debrief with the partners, debrief with schools, and then we said, okay, now the number that we're really interested in are the true contacts, which is phase three. This is say, I've, I, I have conversations with the school. I had conversations with the families. What is it that needs to happen to have the student reconnect online and be engaged in virtual learning? That's where we wanna be at the true contact stage. And so that's kind of how, that was the overview of what we looked at. And that's where we wanted to stay. So what it means to do all three of those phases, we, we, we call this student wellness checks. Phase one, phase two, and phase three, these were all student wellness checks. And then we started to have to put things in place from a district perspective. So we reached out to uh, Cocentric. I had to align uh, resources uh, in the re-engagement center differently. So I had to, so we had to put social workers in play. We had to put temporary workers in play, and then we had to had a have a way of connecting uh, the feedback and the communication with families and schools. And so that's the approach we use. So it was in phases. And how many students do you feel you don't know where they are at this point? 
So that is a good question. And I don't, um, because we're always scrubbing the number. We're always looking at no-shows and with, withdrawals. Um, and so um, don't really quote me on this because the data is fluid, is always moving. So um, as we as we help held our meetings, I think we, we are probably somewhere in 3,000 students. We're still kind of working, but that's through withdrawals and no-shows and looking who's transferred out of the state. So that number is always moving. But I'll tell you this, it's less than 8,000 when we started in March. Well, David, you might have something of a, of a sense of the numbers because your, your company has been part of the, um, of, of finding them. What, what I was curious about was how many did you find like had just moved? They had moved to the Carolinas. They had moved to the, you know, to be with grandparents or whatever. And so they didn't realize they were missing from, from Baltimore because they, they were somewhere else. Right. Um, I was just curious about that. So I, I think similar to what Mr. Shaw said is that the number becomes very fluid. I, we've we've conducted since May 11th um, for Baltimore City uh, over about 15,000 wellness checks. Um, but that's not just through the re-engagement center because there's two concurrent flows of work. It's the work with the individual schools that Principal Swinton will speak to, but then the centralized process uh, through Mr. Shaw uh, and the re-engagement center. So. There's two concurrent streams of work that's always always going on, and sometimes there there there, there is overlap. Um, a lot of times, it's finding out where students they haven't necessarily moved permanently, but they've relocated just during COVID, um, and so they might be logging on remotely from whether it be the Carolinas, uh, outside in the county. Uh, that's that has been uh, our experience finding a lot of students that may have had uh, extended family just in Baltimore County. Um, but their their permanent residence uh, is in Baltimore City, but because of COVID and because of different family structures, they're they're out there, and that number of the com- of the comprehensive uh, wellness checks doesn't speak to the it, the specific numbers of students because students could have had multiple visits. But I think in the phases that Mr. Shaw talked about um, is that it was it was really telling that at the beginning, and it still exists, and this is not just Jermaine and Baltimore City, the tech, the, the tech divide is was really spoken to at the beginning, that we always knew that there was a tech divide, uh, inequality in technology and access to it. Uh, we're not, I think districts, particularly Baltimore City, but the districts that, we, that we're working with, they've done a lot to mitigate that, whether it be through hotspots and donations, working with corporate partners, wherever the case may be, they've done that. It's not the tech divide anymore. Uh, as the predominant um, thing, it's the structures in the in the families and the family dynamics that's really really hard. And I think uh, Principal Swinton can speak to it because she's a high school principal. Is that how about when you're a high when you're a high school student and you have three or four siblings, and you only may have one or two devices, uh, but you are the you are responsible for your online learning, but you're also responsible for your brothers and sisters online learning during the day. And there's there's a there's a conflict there. Or, you know, I mean, we're all educators on this call to to uh, to whatever extent students. And this is why it, I think the push students are struggling so hard with online learning. You know, what I mean, it's been documented. Fairfax County talked about it, uh, but it, it's just huge. Like it, it's teachers. Teachers have gotten better. 
uh, from the uh, from the spring, but students are struggling with it, right? And it's keeping the consistency. So it's not like a wellness check. Once we go through the progress of the three types of wellness checks, but it's also about consistently working with the different structures and the different personnel about keeping that that rigor about keeping students engaged. So it's not a lot of people think, well, wellness check, the situation gets be uh, better. No, wellness check is a part of a larger systemic issue at the district level and at the school level. Well, let's talk about the school level. Um, Dr. Swinton, when you became, um, or I, I'm, I'm anticipating by a week, the doctor. So. <laughs> when you became principal of Digital Harbor High School in 2017, attendance was a real problem there, as I understand it. How did you think about it and what did you do about it? And then talk about that in relation to the issue now. Okay, so just to note, I started at Digital in 2019. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I came to Baltimore City Public Schools in 2017, and I served at another school for two years prior to transitioning to um, Digital during the summer of 2019. Um, and I'll tell you that at Digital, I came in, I, I got my chief of schools dashboard with all of my data points, attendance, and, you know, assessment data and enrollment, like all of the data and historical data. Um, and I took a minute and, you know, I laid my eyes on the attendance rate. And at the time, um, it was at about 66%. And so looking, I'm in a school of over 1,200 students and the attendance is 66%. That was alarming for me, right? Because there's a large um, group of students who are not engaged. Um, and so I knew from there that the attendance team would be the team that I had to lead. Like I had to constantly have um, my hand in the work of attendance because kids need to be in school to learn, right? And I wanted to create a climate and culture where student, where the, the building is inviting, encouraging, and kids want to be. And so my focus um, has been since 2019 when I arrived at Digital is to really focus on attendance and the work that we do to get kids in the seat. And so um, we meet weekly. We have a large attendance team. It didn't start large, but what I recognize is that it cannot just sit with me and my attendance monitor. And so we um, invited our guidance counselors, our related service providers, um, IEP chairs, um, paraeducators. We invited a lot of people to the table. Um, and basically we started out with our strategy of like consistently looking at data and holding each, each other accountable to um, our action steps. And so we developed a rhythm at the start um, of, you know, my tenure in 2019 that has really, you know, once we moved into a virtual setting, we've been able to replicate it and also hold on to some of those gains that we had at the end of last year. So in the 10 months that we were in the building last year, we were able to increase our attendance from 66% to 74% at the end of um, February last year before the COVID closure. And we were also able to decrease our chronic absenteeism by 15%. And so, you know, I, I kept, encouraging my attendance team throughout the process because it is a fluid process and because there are a lot of, you know, ups and downs with attendance and, and engaging and re-engaging and so many things happen um, 
and students' lives and families' lives within the community that can have a significant impact on who shows up on a daily basis. Um, we just continue to encourage each other and hold each other accountable to the work. And so that really looks like a case management model where everyone is responsible for a group of students. We tier our students and based on their tier, they have a case manager who does daily check-ins, weekly check-ins. They are aggressively monitoring their attendance and doing outreach. And a part of the outreach that we've been able to do during this COVID closure ha has really been um, through social media. I'll be honest, I knew the impact of social media because I use it for my personal life. But once COVID came and we had the closure, I recognized the power of social media and connecting with students. And so once I got into this rhythm of engaging students on social media, also, you know, just making sure we're meeting targets as an attendance team, it's been able to just, again, help us hold on to the gains that we had pre-COVID. And I'm, you know, really proud of my attendance team and the work that we've done. Um, we have several strategies, and I'm very thankful that um, Concentric was included in our CSI plan, which has allowed us to have funding to support that work. Um, and I know that Roger, Mr. Shaw has been working really hard with the Reengagement Center and the work that they did over the summer definitely helped us, um, you know, staying connected and keep contact with students through those wellness checks. And then since the since September, Concentric has been able to you know, follow up on that work and continue to help us out. So when a student needs hygiene products, when a student needs a grocery gift card, a blanket, a jacket, like Concentric has been able to make that happen for me, even in the most challenging, you know, environment right now. So I'm I'm very thankful for, for, for the partnership and also the work that my attendance team has been doing since 2019. So, so I want to just like... Uh, not not to get us out of the covid conversation but because this is this is what mr shaw talked about the systems the structures and uh david heber and i have been talking about this forever uh, for as long as we've known each other one of the things that you have talked about with me is that your company can do certain kinds of things um to help schools and you can't do other things and you're you advised me to talk with um, Ms. Swinton because she understands what you can do and what you can't do. Can you kind of outline what it is? Sometimes schools kind of say, okay, well, you've got the kids who don't show up. You handle them. Um, that doesn't really work, right? No, no. Yeah. Uh, we're not, you know, Concentric is a strategy, right? We're, we're a partner. Um and we can help with the work, but we are not the panacea in any school or any district. And when, when schools and districts use us strategically as part of a larger plan and framework, it works, right? So our framework is a pre-meeting. What do we know about the students? That's the qualitative piece. The quantitative piece is about students being tiered because of uh, indicators, attendance indicators, academic indicators, or behavior indicators. And then, then they're tiered. Uh, and this goes into a larger, different conversation around MTSS and just the structures okay, that I, need to Okay, I don't know what MTSS is. MTSS is multi-tier uh, systems of supports. Gotcha. It's how, how, do, how do schools say what students need what supports and why and are those supports working? And, um, you know, it, it goes, MTSS is 
to the 2000 2021 version or 2019 2020 version of RTI. That's the simplest way to say, and it's just more inclusive around social emotional as well, not just academic driven. Right? Okay, um, I'm just for people who don't know. RTI is response to intervention, and it's just a way of kind of categorizing this student needs basic instruction, this student needs a little more intensive instruction, and this student needs individual tutoring. So think of MTSS with instruction, but social-emotional as well, and attendance. Where it works at a school level is, for example, when Principal principal Swain, and Mr. Shaw is doing this as well, they, because they're, they're very humble, both of them are very humble. Mr. Shaw has been doing this work. Uh, I met Mr. Shaw in 1999, my first year at Baltimore City, and he was always known as, as Uncle Roger because he has his pulse on the district and on the city. He is one of the very few people in the city that has credibility at every single level. And it's not just because of what he can do, it's because why he does it. It's his heart. And he, you know what I mean? He, I don't think it, it's highlighted enough. Um, the reengagement center is the best model nationally that I've seen in all the districts I've been in, about how to re at risk students and support them. But that's because of the vision of Mr. Shaw, um, with, with, with the support of the you know, chief of schools and obviously the CEO to be able to let him operate in that work, uh, in that space. At the school level, Principal Swin, I just had this conversation with her a couple of days ago, she's on the Mount Rushmore of principals. And this is, I'm going back 20 years, in the sense that she gets it, right? Like she honestly gets about, this is what a partner needs to be able to do, a partner, right? Not a vendor, but a partner. And this is what they're responsible for. And this is how we're going to measure whether or not they're, that they're making success. So she was able to really pinpoint, these are the students I want Concentric to go visit. All we do is we bring the information back. The school has to do something with it. That's, that's what the follow-up is and the case management. They, they own the data. So I always tell, I always tell schools, um, my team is out there today in the snowstorm. Like we don't take a day off. Um, we take two, two days off, Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving. Um, so, I mean, I have to have some type of heart, but I mean, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta connect with these uh, students and the families. It's, we can, we can do 200 home visits a day. The question I always pose is, what are you going to do with the information? So if a student says I need A, B and C, or a family says I need A, B and C, are you in a position to respond to that right then and there? And if the answer is, is no, then it's not about the, the, the quantity of the visits. It's about what are you doing with, with the, the, the information that you're getting? And those are the structures that, 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 are, that are on place. So you take at the school level what Principal Swinton is doing, and you, all, you go all the way up to the district level, what Roger is creating at the, at the, uh, at the district level. And it's really about what are we what are we doing? You can't lose credibility with students and families. So if and this is what I always suggest, if you ask us to do a wellness check and we tell that family because we are now the face of that school or we are the extension of the district. If we tell that family, we're going to get you a hotspot because you're saying that you need a hotspot and we don't deliver that hotspot, meaning not not literally. But if the school system or the school or the school doesn't come through with that, what they say that they can do. We, you lose credibility. So you gotta be you gotta be really intentional about what you're doing with what students. And that's why at this point, I'd rather work with fewer schools and districts who understand it and put the structures in place than just than just take it. Because when we started this conversation, what, 10 years ago, Karen? Something like that. <laughs> when you were it's, first yeah. starting. 
Yeah, it's just it's just taking it's just doing visits just to do visits, right? And that's 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 not a that's not a model for success. Well, and Mr. Shaw, one of the things you told me was that you had at at some point you put in place a an immediate response um, plan, which was if someone says they need a hotspot, they get that hotspot then. So right. Um, if they rather, if someone needs a charger, they get that charger then. So people doing those wellness checks are traveling around with hotspots and, and chargers and whatever else uh, might be needed um, in order to build that trust. Because if, if David's team finds a student at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, which it sounds like happens... And they say, well, I don't have a charger, telling a student, well, email the central office on Monday morning and, you know, you've already lost them, right? (laughs) Yes. And and if I may interject, that's that's why when I talk to David and other people in the reengagement center, uh, we talk about the UPS model being on the ground. And um, that's what moves the work. And um, we can have the structures and systems in place, which is needed, but we got to be able to respond to, to, to these students and families that are in need. And so um, it is about how do we structure our capacity or our resources to do ground level work? That's the way we move the data. Um, and so, uh, it is, it is very important to me that uh, I, I work with the individuals in the district to kind of say, hey, how do we get resources million to these families? And, and sometimes it means that uh, I, I, I talk to David on a Saturday or Sunday and I say, David, I have, uh, we have students who are in need of A, B, C, and D. I am going to contact uh, one of the gentlemen at the reengagement center to to contact you so you can get the resource to that family that day. And that's what, that's what we do. That's the ground piece that I'm talking about, the UPS model. It sounds as if you do that as well, Ms. Swinton. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, we make sure that our students, it's all about bridging a gap. And when I talk about the gap, it's like the resources, like our students are in need. We're in a global pandemic. There are a lot of things going on. And so some families are in need of food. We partner with Safeway. We received a grant and we were able to get grocery gift cards. And so Concentric has helped us with delivering those on demand when families reach out and say they need support or when we hear from a home visit or from a teacher that this family is in need. Same for devices. We've distributed distributed over a thousand um, laptops and over 200 hotspots. Um, and that was through the support and the help with Concentric, making sure that those deliveries um, were happening in cases that families didn't have the transportation to get to our school site. Baltimore has opened some school sites uh, for the little ones, for the for the little kids, and it's talking about opening a little bit more for middle and high school. How is that going? How how many students do you think will return to the building, Dr. Swinton? So we actually opened in the fall for a selected group of students. 
Um, we had about 30 students who opted in to that particular program. And we are anticipating to open March 1st for ninth and 12th grade students. And as it stands, we have about 160 students confirmed for our reopening in March. Um, and so we're really excited. We learned a lot from our fall reopening, and I'm glad we had an opportunity to offer um, that program to our students. And as a staff, we learned a lot um, on a very small scale that I think will really inform how we reopen in March. Can you share some of the lessons? Yeah, I think so, people around the country are interested. <laughs> well, listen, I tell my staff all the time, like the book is like, it's happening now. We're writing it right now. No one can ever say they've experienced this, you know, in the way that we're experiencing this right now, all across the board, school leaders, district leaders, parents, students, everyone, right? And so um, what, what we have to do is really learn from my experiences. And so from the fall, what we learned is that students are honestly expecting to walk into the building and remember or kind of experience the, the normalcy that they had pre-COVID. Um, and so as much as you can um, engage students and insert those, what we will call like pre-COVID experiences, but, but also ensuring the safety of staff and students is what really needs to be prioritized because kids have been isolated um, from their peers for so long. They've, you know, mainly connected through social media, but there's nothing like that in-person experience of high school. And so how um, we engaged pre-COVID, we had a lot of major events for our students to celebrate them and recognize them. Um, a lot of raffles and incentives for coming on a daily basis. We did cater breakfast um, once a month for our, our um, attendance incentive. And so those are the things that we are looking to replicate for March reopening. Of course, now it has it's not a buffet breakfast, it's a catered um, breakfast uh, for like opening day raffles. We have a big event and we we our partners have been able to support us with purchasing items that kids want, um, technology and, and school swag and all of those things. And so, you know, you get a raffle every day you come the first week. If you come the full week, you have five chances to win one of these really exciting um, incentives. And I mean, who doesn't, I can't even say that's like a teenager thing or a high school thing. That's anyone. Anyone wants to like be recognized, celebrated, and get incentives for making good choices and doing the right things. And so those are the things that we're planning out um, from, um, that's what we learned from November and what we're planning for in the in March. We're also prioritizing SEL work. So what does an in-person restorative circle look like? How do we insert opportunities for students to use their voice um, and really talk about the things that they've had to deal with during this closure and things that they, you know, want, need, and desire moving forward? So we're also prioritizing SEL space within our daily schedule to make sure that we are really doing wraparound support for these students who are coming in um, and taking the first step and, you know, ensuring their success through their. Tangie, I, I've done it again. I just keep asking more and more questions, but I'm sure you have some. Yeah, I think what I'm most struck by is um, the conversation around phases and the, and the conversation around 
being very strategic and, and maintaining one's credibility. And so, and, and also I think it's really important to have this conversation around the SEL because it's gonna be what a lot of folks are gonna really focus on. One of the things I wonder is how are you thinking through, not from just a testing perspective, but how are you thinking about the assessment piece as a way to learn? Um, and, and using the SEL, that's learning too, but how are you thinking about the assessment piece to learn about you know, where your students are academically particularly since you're going to have some come in in March and some stay out. So how are you thinking about that sort of juxtaposition of learning about their learning in those two spaces? Good question. Um, So, I mean, since our closure, we have really supported our teachers in professional development and, and growing their instructional practice in the virtual setting. And that's where a lot of our um, supports and coaching has been happening, obviously, because we've been um, closed. And so when I think about, you know, learning from assessment data, while I feel like it's important, I don't, I really don't want us to miss the mark on the SEL piece, right? Like what what matters to kids? What is happening? They could have potentially lost family members. They could be, you know, in a homeless situation because of COVID. There are so many layers to how this global pandemic um, has impacted our students and not just COVID. I really want to draw attention to the racial tension that students experience from, you know, May and over the summer, with the protest and, you know, there's so many pieces that have impacted our students and how they have developed in this time without, you know, professionals, you know, providing the the daily support that they need in their growth. And so I do think that assessment data can be um, informative and helpful, but that isn't my bar right now. It's really about con- what I call connectedness and what I share with my staff. Like connectedness is a top priority. We have to build relationships. We have to know the context. We have to know where our kids are and what what they need. And the more that we are building those relationships and the more that we understand the context to which they are surviving in this global pandemic, that gives us more information of the supports that they need upon their return um, in person. So what I'll also add is like the book has not been written about what hybrid, what impact hybrid learning has on student growth, what virtual comparative to in person, like we're writing that now. And I think that we're going to learn and grow together through this process. But I, for me, my priority is connectedness. I really need to stay connected with my students and bridge the gap in the resources that their families, um, you know, the lack of resources that their families may be facing at this time. But I hope that was a, um, a okay answer for you. I know some of my maybe principal colleagues might be cringing at the thought of like, you know, spring assessment window and all of those things. But to be honest, with all of the other things that our students and families are facing, I think it would be um, just not a good look for us to just dis- dismiss that and say, "Hey, you 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 got to meet this bar on already or on." Oh yeah, no, no, no. Um, I was, I was definitely you know not I mean? thinking about it through the lens of meeting a bar. I was thinking about it from a, from the actual lens of what are you learning about their learning, 
you know, from the really from the standpoint that there aren't adults there that normally are there. But the, the idea that kids are not learning is something at all that has to be challenged as well. So it's really thinking about it, really, really thinking about it from that lens of, well, what might you learn, right? Like you said, you're writing the book now. So what's going to be on page like 27, <laughs> right? Like what's on page 27 when you think about like how were particularly high schoolers who are, who are notoriously like pseudo dependent, but don't want you to know it, right? Like, like hiding their dependence and don't want you to know that they really need you. And so how are they, you know, preparing for their next phase of their lives because they're really passing through high school onto the next thing. And so I really was interested in what might you be learning from a learning standpoint, not from a bar because we know bars are arbitrary and can be misleading from an actual learning perspective. So that's really the the take I was doing. So I agree with you that you can't sacrifice one versus the other. And so, you know, thinking about that and also thinking about you, you well, can I just add in, when we talked with Sonia Santalisas in the spring, one of the things she, that Tangi and I loved the most was she talked about going to a student rally following the George Floyd murder and having students say, we should be learning this. We should be reading these books. Why aren't we reading these books? And she was, she was like, yeah, they're right. We need to we need to make sure that they're reading the kinds of things that can help them process this, um, what we're going through, right? Not just not just the pandemic, but the racial reckoning. And now base, uh, I'll call it the political reckoning um, with the insurrection the other week of people who really do not want democracy, right? And so... Like, that's a lot to process. That seems more than I had to process when I was in high school. Are kids reading stuff that will help them? I, I don't know if that was what you were kind of getting at, Tangie. Well, I was going to ask, you know, in fact, were, were, were she trying to get, were kids bringing that up? You know, when you yeah. talk to your teachers, how are your teachers helping them? So I was, I was leaning in that same direction. That was going to be my question. Oh, Sorry. So, so what you know? So th- this goes back to so, something that uh, Roger was talking about, like phases, right? So you could take a simple or tangible intervention, such as a student wellness check conducted through a home visit, and you could do so. You can do so much with it. It's really depending upon what the district wants to do with something, what the school wants to learn, right? By definition, a wellness check in and of itself is a tier three visit. I mean, is a tier three intervention, right? Because it's so intense, personal as well. Um, you can start customizing it as you progress through the trust and as you go to multiple, as you conduct multiple checks to the same family or to the same student. Uh, and this this may hopefully answer your question. You can start embedding SEL soft assessments into the wellness checks. So we know that there's five core competencies around SEL, but most most of the work is done around two core competencies, you know, self-awareness and self-management. What are, what are they experiencing? How, how do they, how do they, Uh, describe what they're experiencing and uh, describe what they want to do. You can start embedding those questions as you're talking to students and families about what do you, not just what do you need, what do you want to see happen? Like, and that those are data points, right? So it's not about just doing an intervention or doing a visit or a wellness check. 
it's going it's going and probing further and asking more open-ended questions uh karen you'll probably appreciate this i gotta you know i gotta shout out uh freeman about this freeman is always talking about asking questions and questioning what is happening and getting that feedback so it's not a, a yes or no mark it's 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 a data point around the quality around the story the narrative of what people are experiencing in these in, in these times right so they they got hit adolescents and children and families society at large got hit with, with got hit with covid and the abrupt stopness you think about it they were in school i think we stopped march 13th they were in school on the 10th and then all of a sudden <laughs> they, they stopped yeah. on that friday right he was supposed to be, right? yeah on that friday yeah because I was actually, I was in New York doing some work with schools on the 10th. And yes. they were worried then. Yeah, right. Friday. So done. that abruptness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, then going into the, the version, the 2020, the 2020 version of what was happening during the civil, you know, during 66, 67, 68, right? So you, you add the national pandemic, which you did not have there uh, back in the, you know, late 60s. Uh, with, you know, with a, a social crisis as well and asking them what, what do, what, how are they feeling about that? And just using those different platforms, whether it be social media that, that, uh, that, uh, Dr. Swinney, uh, is using, uh, or combining it with what, what Roger is saying is about what are we just learning about families? What do you need? And it, it's really the steps. What do you need? How do you feel? Right? And, com- and combining combining those strategies. But if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for, and Karen, you, you might know this better than I do. I don't know any large district uh, that's that's equivalent to the size of Baltimore that took a systemic approach and the audacity to do in-person wellness checks like Baltimore City did in May at a system level. So I know like some, some individual principals were knocking on doors and that was highlighted and stuff like that. But I'm talking about a, a superintendent empowering schools and IOED to say, go knock on doors. Um, I think the first wellness check during COVID was May 11th. Matter of fact, I know it was May 11th. Um, that was, th- that's unheard of. Like, Well, that's you, why I wanted to talk with you all. Right? <laughs> and, and then, and just... But where Mr. Shaw and Principal Swin is, they're pushing the envelope about what's next with this, right? And it's always the questioning of what next. I mean, it's, it, this is going to be interesting. I guess, uh, uh, Principal Swin, like three years from now, we're going to have like uh, thousands of dissertations about the the impact of COVID uh, on on learning in K twelve or or in higher ed uh, because we we just don't know what the what these are going to happen. Um, I happen to have my uh, my little my little niece over this weekend. She's five. She's in kindergarten, and I said, you know, are you are you missing school? And she just started crying. This is a kindergarten student, and she just said, I miss my friends. Right? Forget the academic impact, which we which we know is uh, is going to be impactful. But wow, you know, a uh, kindergarten said, I just miss my friends. And and the high school and the high school students, as much as we're fighting to keep them engaged during the year, because and, and you know get to school, they want school, right? That 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 is what I'm hearing in, in the conversation. Man, I hate school, man. I hate school, but I gotta go back. It's just there in the in in the in the apex of well, we could probably end still in the apex of the pandemic. But I remember in Baltimore, 
in affluent homes outside of Baltimore City and in other places, students and families have options right, to do certain things. In, in many of our urban communities, there's no, there's no options. There's, how do you social distance in, in, in uh, Latrobe homes or Douglas, you know, in, in Douglas projects? Like, how, how do you social distance? You, you can't do it. And just and you you would you, we would go out and do wellness checks and you just see hundreds of kids and families outside because there was nothing else to do, right? So I mean it, it's it's going to be very interesting that this depth of learning that that we're that we're going to be able to do during this time to, yeah, I, to help further education. Yeah, I just want to go back to something. Is it Dr. Marshall stated about what are we learning about kids learning? And I want to go back to just uh, a little bit about what Dr. Swinton stated about connectedness. In, in uh, working with the principals, uh, and I'll give this example, when the insurrection happened, uh, I would say it was that Wednesday, um, working with the chief of schools, uh, uh, John Davis and Dr. Santelises, we had to put something in place, but we had something in place, but we had to make sure it got the principals to give the students, to give them voice around what they experience. And so principals had to uh, look at the recommendations from the district and then uh, create opportunities that very next day around giving children, students voice to talk about what happened and where and what they're learning from this and, and then take that learning and then give that to teachers of how we're going to move forward with preparing our students for coming back and, and, and all of the different types of things that are happening in the world around them that's impacting them. And so when they listen to the students' feedback, they are documenting this and they are taking this and sharing it with teachers uh, some teachers may be part of the conversation. Sometimes it may be just the principals and the students. And so different structures uh, to, to get that learning. And so it's very important that as we continue to move forward, that we give children voice about what's happening around them. And that goes back to the connectiveness. That is a learning for us. And, and as I talk to students, uh, on different levels. And when David goes out and, you know, create these uh, or conduct these uh, learning, these wellness checks and learn from families. And, and so we say, you know, this kid is disengaged for, he doesn't have technology. He doesn't have food. There's some mental health issues. That's fine that we, we get that information, but there's another category called other, right? And that other category doesn't show up on the data. Right. That other category says, you know, I am struggling because I'm afraid of what may happen to me if I engage with the police officer. See, that's the conversations I'm having with young people. So I see. see, and So I so we, then we have to create uh, how do we build confidence, how we create safety nets for these young people. So that's the learning I, um, I'm getting, that's the learning that we need to look at because they they are in a world where they don't think they're going to make it past 25. And when we look at the violence in Baltimore, it, it, it becomes their realities to some degree. So we have to look at 
the other category to make sure we are providing resources and it's very challenging, but we have to do that. So, um, I, you know, their learning is about um, how, 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 how can I stay safe as I go to school, right? How can I, how can I know that I can trust adults who are in authority? That, that word trust is so key. And it sounds to me like you're all part of trying to build trust within the Baltimore school system, which, you know, uh, is a, is a, it's a tall order. It's a tall order. Um, Mr. Shaw, early, uh, early in the summer, there was a, a kind of very influential piece by Alec McGillis about a student in Baltimore who was um, disengaged from school. And it's been used uh, as an argument that um, students are kind of being left behind. I wondered if you re read that piece and if, if you had a Baltimore response to that. Um. I, I didn't read. I didn't read that piece. But when you say students are being left behind, this is this is how do I say this? And um, I remember something you said, Karen, about real conversation. No child. Uh, we don't want to leave any child behind. And I have to go back to something that uh, we all have talked about here is. Um, the connectedness, the resources, the structures, and the systems. And so for me, it is, I think in every child's life, there is a caring adult. We as the district and who are dealing with you, we gotta find that caring adult. It doesn't always show up right away. And so to keep children from being left behind, Right. We, we got to meet those needs. But there is a caring adult in every child's life that they respond to. And sometimes we have to dig through the, the, the data. We have to dig through the negative reports. We have to dig through all of the negative experiences to get to that uncle, to get to that cousin, to get to that grandmother or even to get to that sibling. I had a situation a couple of weeks ago where a young man that I had taught, his brother had not been engaged. And he called me on the phone and said, my, my brother's not engaged in school. He's busy doing other things. I need you to do what you did for me. I need you to do that for him. And I said, well, what was that? You didn't give up. You kept talking. You kept coming. You kept visiting. And that's what we have to do. But it takes uh, uh, Miss Dr. Swinton, it takes her entire staff to get behind that 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 vision, to get behind that piece. And so for me, it was about when we re-engage students, I don't want to, my first conversation is not about academics. It's not. Because I already know how they feel about that. It is, what is your passion? I want to help you uh, understand your passion and get you to that goal. And so in not leaving children behind, we have to understand their passion, whatever that is, and then create the environments for that to happen. You know, Karen, this, this is 
this is the um, what you just saw is a, is a tidbit. That's the passion that drives Mr. Shaw. If you've seen the change. I'm glad you talked because right. I was kind of tearing up. I couldn't talk. Did you, for it. Did you see the change from the beginning of the of the uh, of the podcast. But that's what drives the work. Right. That's why I think it's the national model. It's it's not just, you know, A, B and C. Right, how to in, in, engage students is that because we're dealing with because we're dealing with human beings, no one has the answer, right? Like, like that's what we have to come to. Like everyone talks about experts. If you say you're an expert in education, you're lying to me because you you can't. How do you be? A, how are you an expert in human beings when what works with fun, for one student and family doesn't work for the next? We're all practitioners, right? And so, you know, we've had. I, I was just looking at some data. So year to date, when we're collecting all, when we when we've looked, when we combine all the data for Baltimore City, we've done seventeen thousand one hundred and thirty nine wellness checks from September. So that's not even including the work. In it. I didn't know it was that much. We've spoken to nine thousand seven hundred and ninety one students, individual in students. So so some of them had yes. more than one visit. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it, it's it's the tenacity to continue to 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 go to go above and beyond, right? And I think you know, similar to what Mr. Shaw speaks to, uh, and what Principal Swinton experiences every single day, um, and what you alluded to in the in your introduction here, is that the reason I'm here today is because of people like Freeman Robowski. Because he never gave up. It wasn't three strikes. Um, I'm here because of people like Mr. Shaw, who gave a first-year teacher an opportunity to teach summer school, right? And this, and so it, it goes from being a personal mentor to a professional mentor. All people can succeed if they're given the, given the support, but it, it has to be unconditional support. It, it can't be predicated upon uh, a flow chart that if if you get one wellness check. I mean, that's why students have multiple visits because right? or multiple touch points is that I'm not going to give up on you. No matter what you do, I'm not going to give up on you because we may be the only people that can that can give you that support. And so, I mean, I think that's the, the genesis of around the wellness check. It's not just finding them, finding them. It's giving them what they need to to be successful. And I will just add one one thing. Um, one other thing uh, to that is that. You have to have the leadership at the top that understands. This work does not happen if Dr. Santalisa's, uh, uh, Alice Perkins Cohen, and Chief Davis, John Davis, uh, 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 don't allow, allow this work to happen in the way that, is, that it happens. And then they have conversations with us about the work. So like, for example, when we, and, and, and uh, Dr. Swinton could speak to this as well. When we talk about bringing young people back in person, we go through an in-person stat meeting. So principals have voice, departments have voice to talk about what it looks like and, and those kinds of things. And we do that twice a week. When we talk about the attendance work and finding missing kids, there are four, four work streams that all play a part in that process. And we have attendance staff meetings where the CEO and the chief of schools and the chief of staff are all involved. And so 
the work doesn't happen unless the leadership understands what this entails. And so that is what's so great about doing this work. One of the things I heard from all of you was this, like, we're going to try something. We're going to study whether it worked. We're going to adjust. We're going to redo stuff if it didn't work. We're going to extend if it did work. This continual scientific process of, um, kind of exploration and revision. Does does that make sense, Doctor Swinton? I'm giving yes. you your title. You're you're gonna thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. No, it absolutely makes sense. When Mr. Shaw was speaking, it gave me goosebumps because I could call names of students of like they would come back and say like you were relentless. Like you 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 haven't stopped yet. You know what I mean? And so it's really about that. Like you have to be relentless about the support that you're providing to students. If they're not engaging, hey, I'm checking in and I found my way through social media. And so like, I'm DMing like, are you okay? What do you need? How can I support you? And that's really the work that school leaders and teachers and attendance monitors, I think across city schools, that that's what they've been doing pre-COVID. And I think it's been amplified in this current closure, but those are the things that matter. We have a mentoring program. We have extracurricular um, clubs embedded into our school day. I lead a club called the um, Girl Boss Club. And so I'm directly connected to about about 15 of my girls. And they are coming from all different ranges of age and ability and interest. But that is my direct connect to that particular group. As a school leader, I charge all of my staff members to take on a, a senior who they would mentor and see through their matriculation to graduation. And that those direct connections and building the relationships and staying connected and understanding the context to which students are showing up or not showing up, right? Because there are some students who are showing up every day and still facing a lot of barriers at home. And um, Dave spoke to, you know, a I have a senior who takes care of multiple siblings at home, but she is at every virtual event, all of her classes doing really, really great things. But that is a challenge for her. I have other seniors who are working full time and also doing what they need to do to stay above average in school. And so I try to stay connected with those students and provide the supports as well, because I don't know what it's like to go to virtual school and work full time. And so, hey, what do you need in this moment? How can I support you? Um, And so I get the text messages and the DMs with, you know, updates um, by the minute. And so my job or what I charge myself to do is try to, to, you know, match that energy from my students and really be relentless about how I support them. Well, and that gets to what Mr. Shaw was talking about, about the leadership. Like, ultimately, what this podcast and kind of all the work I've done has ultimately been about leadership. And it there's this fractal pattern of classroom leadership, school leadership, district leadership. And um, that just came, sort of shone through in this podcast. Um I was going to ask what all the rest of the country could learn from Baltimore, but I think you've kind of you've kind of covered it. <laughs> um, Tangi, is there something we missed? Well, yeah, one thing I wondered in listening to um, Taisha and Dr. Swinton talk about it is who supports you 
So where's your where's your support? I hear you talk a lot about, you know, relentless by the minute updates and, and really pouring yourself out. Who pours back to you and what are the structures you have in place for that? Thank you for asking that question. I appreciate that. So, I mean, I'll be honest, my ILED um, has really been super supportive for me um, and our entire network. Obviously, my family supports me, my um, my leadership team and my school. We we are we are a collective in that if we don't get a check in on a daily basis to laugh, to cry, to vent, to scream like we miss those moments. And so we support each other. Um, and I thrive on the positive outcome or just meeting the needs of my students um, upon their request. I thrive on that. And so some people are like, well, you, you got to self-care. You got to take a minute. But like, I really thrive on helping my children. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's how I take care of myself and how others have poured into me. But thank you for asking. I appreciate that. One thing I just wanted to mention was that your school has a podcast and I listened to one of the episodes. It was, it was delightful. I, I just, it, they were interviewing you. The, the students were interviewing you and uh, it really uh, was a, just a nice uh, kind of window into student thought and student the students who are really connected to you. Thank you for shouting out the Ramcast. That that is the birth of like our COVID closure. And so our Ramcast, the fact that it's student led and you know it taps right into their voice and giving them a voice, that excites me. And being able to share that and the fact that you indulge in it just really makes my heart happy. So thank you for that. It was fun. Uh, you want to give the the name again so people can find it if they want? Yes, it is called The Ramcast, and it is on Spotify as well as Google. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, think, I think what you shared today was just really extraordinary, and I hope educators around the country are able to kind of think through, okay, you know, we have this big gnarly problem of, missing students, how do you even start thinking about it? You helped, you helped everybody, I think, uh, start thinking through those questions. So I want to thank all of you uh, very much uh, for joining us today. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you'd like to hear more about Baltimore, I hope you'll go back and listen to the conversation Tanji and I had with Baltimore CEO Sonia Santelisis in June. She is widely considered one of the most thoughtful superintendents in the country. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. If you have suggestions for what you'd like to hear about in this podcast, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth, that's K-A-R-I-N, C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H or Tangie at Remarsh76. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast, including Robin Harris, Nicole Grayson, and Takira Winfield-Dixon, Jack Fleming, and Keith Curry. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Mike Patillo of Tonal Park 
records and edits these podcasts through the magic of Zoom. Thanks, and see you next time.